Hi everybody, this is Chloe Ten Brink and this is our first episode of the podcast Beyond the Poster. Um, our first episode is entitled The Climate is Changing and So Must We and it's going to be co-hosted by myself and... Paola Lupi. Right, so the idea behind this podcast kind of started when we sat down and thought about how the issue of climate change was portrayed in the media. The answer is quite simple, to us at least, that in the last year what has dominated the news outlets and almost become the face of climate change are the climate protests. From Fridays for Future with Greta Thunberg to Extinction Rebellion in London to the indigenous protest in North America, such as the Dakota Access Pipeline protest in the US. We see millions of angry faces holding cardboard sign, young and old, of every nationality, ethnicity and gender. They have understood one thing, the climate change is going to affect us all and we need to act now. But a poster can only say so much. They're short, catchy, colourful. They feed morsels of ideas to the public, be it on the street or on the front page of the BBC. What we want to do is go beyond the poster. So in this podcast, what we'll be doing is taking a common poster slogan from the protest and diving in a little bit deeper into the themes and issues alluded to. To kick off, we'll be taking a look at the slogan, The Climate is Changing and So Must We. So you might be able to tell that is the title of our first podcast. Um, Now, this slogan, this is perhaps the most general slogan one could find at the climate marches, but it touches on one of the most pressing issues underlying climate change, that human behavior needs to change. (laughs) We can't keep going at the pace at which we are currently going, which is why it is necessary to look at the real environmental consequences of some of our most common actions and start reflecting on them. For instance, it takes about 20,000 litres of water to make a single t-shirt and a pair of jeans, putting significant pressure on local rivers and freshwater basins. A new study estimates that there are about 2,025 million takeaway containers per year being used in the European Union alone. It also says that finding a way to recycle disposable takeaway containers could could reduce equivalent greenhouse gas emissions generated annually by 55,000 cars. Another example is bottling water releases 2.5 million tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere annually and takes 17 million barrels of oil to produce a year's supply. That's enough to fuel 1.3 million cars for the year of power or power 190,000 homes. And now for one of my favorite (laughs) statistics, producing just one hamburger uses enough fossil fuel to drive a small car 20 miles. So... Looking at this, um, so no doubt the climate is changing. If you're a climate changer denier, we're not spending our time on the podcast to trying <laughs> to convince you. This is an established fact. Just look it up. So we will concentrate on the second part of the slogan, the so must we. So my first question, Paula, <laughs> is who is we? According to Conservation International, right now 11% of the world global population, that is, 800 million people are vulnerable to climate change impacts right now as we speak. We're talking about droughts, floods, heat waves, and sea level rise. Soon that number will just keep increasing, and while some of us may live in places where, say, a flood is not a worry, we will all sooner or later feel the real impact of climate change. 11% is a statistic that will only keep on rising. So the we in this 11% is this 11%, but also the we is all of us. And, I mean, it's not just those directly affected right now that must act. Our approach to climate change should be preventative, not responsive. Though climate change has gone a little too far for that already. If we look at climate change and environmental impact, we realize that the global south is far more affected, especially for the lack of resources to quickly respond to climate disasters. 
Right, so when we were talking about this topic, one of the um, things that came to mind was, um, well, recent news actually. One of my close friends is from the Bahamas, and if you followed the news this summer, you would have heard accounts of Hurricane Dorian. So it was all over, um, I mean, it was all over social media, um, but especially I was getting news from, through my friend from the Bahamas who was posting a lot of activism on her stories. And uh, this this hurricane was dramatic and devastating, costing at least 65 lives and thousands of homes. There is no doubt that this is linked to climate change. Um, and I just wanted to include a quote from the New Yorker art article entitled Hurricane Dorian was a climate injustice, which says that as global temperatures continue to rise, the air and water of the tropical Atlantic will get continuously warmer. And as a result, hurricanes will develop stronger and carrying more rain than ever before. This is a disastrous and tangible result of climate change. So I thought this was uh, a really succinct way of explaining one aspect of climate change. And I further picked on this article because of the title, Climate Injustice. This is very pertinent, very true, and it really uh, ties into the theme that we're trying to bring across today. So as I was saying, my friend posted a lot on her Instagram story trying to raise awareness and funds. Uh, one thing that stood out, and I can't quote word for word, but she highlighted the fact that the Bahamas, a famously touristic destination where the richest of the rich go on holiday, was left struggling for funds. If the rich were happy to vacation there or buy a house, why can they also spend money saving a place that offered them beaches, relaxed holidays, and the Caribbean sun they wished for? It's not to say that donations weren't made to the Bahamas from such sources. Um, for example, Cruise Norwegian donated $1 million to the nonprofit All Hands and Hearts in the Bahamas. But in general, there is a large and palpable imbalance. People who use these places contribute to climate change. We <laughs> won't get into unsustainable tourism now and have the money to buy a house there but also have enough money to not be there when disaster strikes, a privilege few people who actually come from those places have. My friend also brought up the global climate disadvantage of the global south when the main causes for climate change actually come from the global north. This is a really important idea when thinking of the who the we is in the slogan we brought up earlier. Take the example of Mozambique, which suffered Cyclone Ide in March of this year and Cyclone Scanet in April of this year. Mozambique's carbon footprint is low in comparison to most countries. In 2016, it was recorded that CO2 emissions per capita were 0.2 metric tons. Overall, the average citizen of Mozambique is responsible for 55 times less carbon emissions than the average US citizens. And yet, it is hit and left with disastrous climate change impacts. Yeah, so basically the point we're trying to make can best be summarized in the statement that the cumulative emissions of developed nations have been calculated at more than seven times those of developing nations, which is a statistic from a 2013 report. Um, I mean, there's clearly a disparity between developing nations and the developed, the global south and the global north, and being the causes of climate change and the recipients of climate change. This is obviously a generalization, depending where you draw the lines of developing and developed and north and south given the role of some countries, for example, India or China, in climate change. But it allows us to sum up or perceive a certain relationship that is quite clear in the reality of climate change. So, we must change. It, is this reserved to people of the global south, those of the global north? Well, no, not at all. Climate change is a global issue, and at the end of the day, every individual ought to be making a change. But perhaps those with larger carbon footprint should, be especially, should try especially hard, or those who have the means to. 
The second especially important way to approach who the we is, is the idea of individual versus corporation. It is no mystery that an individual is small against climate change. Pessimists like to remind us that an individual, that an individual will not really have an impact on their own. So, if what, so what if we don't eat meat for a meal? It won't actually change anything, will it? <laughs> it just sounds like an excuse to me. It's true. Individual action will not solve the climate crisis on its own. It will be foolish to think so. The argument that if everyone did a, a little bit of change is hopeful, but naive. Everyone should change, but that might just not cut it. Not if the change is one, just, just one meat-free meal or, on Mondays or regular attempts or recyclings. It needs to be a bit more and just a bit more radical than that. That being said, any attempt is welcome and encouraged. But then why take active personal action if it will lead nowhere? Because it does lead somewhere. Based on the principle of demand and supply, if more people want more vegetarian meals rather than meat ones, corporations will and have responded. But where can we actually see this? Well, it differs from country to country, but uh, Paula and I are going to take the perspective that we can, can and have seen. So in Europe, where there has been a very visible and enormous increase of vegetarian and vegan options available for meals, you see it absolutely everywhere. Now, con- uh, now restaurants that would never have had a vegetarian option suddenly have multiple. It's a real change that we can see. So this option that climate change deniers mock for being too radical chic is the proof that corporations respond to people's requests and requests for better and more sustainable food and clothing. An example, Disney World has added 400 new plant-based food options in 2019 alone, just as the market research firm NPD confirmed that 18% of the overall US population is trying to eat more plant-based food. Another easy example of the real pressure consumers can put on a corporation can be found in this quote by Jack Hinchcliffe, innovation director at KFC. So he said, veganism as a trend has really blown up. We're currently in the process of working on both vegetarian and vegan options in the innovation kitchen here in our head office. Now, KFC has launched vegan uh, vegan chicken and it seems like it won't be the only one with McDonald's also making improvements in its vegan and vegetarian options. So what difference does it really make if you're trying to reduce your meat and dairy consumption? Well, some will still say nothing, but truly, each of us make choices that influence each other and the more of us we influence, the more the corporations respond. The role of corporations is undeniable. 100 companies responsible for 71% of global emissions and top 20 firms are responsible for one third of carbon emissions according to the Climate Accountability Institute. This can make people feel powerless, but truly, they aren't. And to make the statistic change, they need to ask for more, for better. However, we are not done answering questions. Is it fair to ask people who struggle to feed themselves and to pay rent and clothe themselves to request for better environmental choices? And most importantly, aren't those choices often too expensive to be faced by people with less financial possibilities? If you have ever been in a context debating sustainability, you have probably heard the sentence Is it far to ask a mother who struggles to give children food to buy tofu or cook vegetarian meals instead of paying less to order whatever unsustainable takeout to keep working her three jobs? Or something of the sort, anyway. Which brings us to the question of socioeconomic inequality and how it has been seen in the uh, the context of sustainability. To start and understand how socioeconomic inequalities affect sustainable choices food-wise, it is important to firstly defy a a myth. It is not more expensive to be a vegetarian than to be a meat eater and still maintain a healthy diet. This is a statistic from the Journal of Hunger and Environmental Nutrition. 
By eating a plant-based diet that used olive oil instead of animal protein as a healthy source of fat, you could save nearly $750 a year compared with the average cost of a 2,000 calorie diet that follows the federal MyPlate nutrition guidelines. Not only was the meatless diet cheaper than the eating meat, but it provided more of the fruits, vegetables, and whole grains that are generally considered to be integral to a healthy diet. So, making up that being a vegetarian is elitist is a bit of a misconception created to drag down the basis of the movement. You can be vegetarian and not spend that much. Both Paula and I can testify as poor vegetarian students. Yes. <laughs> Nonetheless, being sustainable overall is often a more expensive choice from buying clothes to avoiding plastic or waste um, means being able to spend more money and time which not everyone has often what you can afford if you're not making that much money are fashion brands for example that feed into fast fashion like primark and zero waste is often seen or the zero waste lifestyle that's often um, promoted on sustainability platforms is often seen as a large expense because the sort of organic shops do have the extra costs um, but is it fair to say that it should be those with the means to make con constant sustainable choices in their lives i believe so it may be a big task to uphold but we need to put part of the responsibility into the hands of the consumer and we need to put it into the hands of the consumers who in our society are given the means to act now only then will sustainability become affordable to all so what we're really trying to say is if you have the means to adopt and to choose more sustainable options, you should because it will make an impact and it will bring down the prices of more expensive, uh, of the parts of a sustainable lifestyle that are more expensive. And even if you can't afford, you know, the best quality things, there are some easy swaps you can make. For example, like we, we live here in Le Havre and... Um, I know that I buy my dishwashing liquid from a brand that only uses recycled plastic for the bottle and it's not more expensive. I think maybe it's at tops 50 cents more expensive than the other option. But you see, that's a tiny swap that does actually count towards sustainability. In some ways, this brings us back to the global north and the global south. Can we ask for countries who have been usurped by the same countries who are the principal causes of climate change to reduce their CO2 emissions? Shouldn't the Global North recognize their role in the exploitation of the Global South economic and natural resources and then act upon it? The same can be said about socioeconomic inequalities. Shouldn't the more wealthy or those who gained money with the rise of unsustainable industry use their privilege to make sustainable choices and affect cooperation rather than those who have been exploited by our society? Only by asking ourselves these questions and not blaming each other but recognizing our roles, can we be coherent in our attempt for a more sustainable world? If you can afford it, choose sustainable options. If you know your lifestyle can be changed within your budget boundaries, do it. We know that asking everyone to choose options that are often are more expensive or to, chase them or to shame them for not choosing those options is unfair. It is blind to socioeconomic inequality and often institutional racism. But we are all aware of our own ability to contribute. So can, must. To conclude, indeed, the climate is changing and so must we. So in this episode, what we kind of covered, what this slogan made us think about was who can choose sustainable options? Ideally, everyone, but the way our world is built doesn't allow for that. Furthermore, there needs to be accountability from countries that have primarily caused the environmental state of the world today to recognize their impact and for them to act.
the message we want to leave you with is think of how you can change and how climate change is affecting you and your region of the world. We would also just like to add that in this episode, we focused a bit on the example of cutting out meat and dairy as an action against climate change. This is by far not the only way. Um, As you guys know, it just was the European week for waste reduction. It actually is, as we're recording this right now. Um, And reducing one's waste is a super, super important way that you can have, um, that you can act in terms of climate climate change um just reducing one's food waste reducing one's clothing waste by not buying uh, a ridiculous amount of clothes from unsustainable brands or just looking at secondhand options for instance and um plastic reducing one's plastic waste and trying to go a bit more down the path of zero waste are all essential actions that we can try and we can partake in This episode is hopefully one of many. If you have any slogans you would like us to look at, shoot, we're happy to hear from you. (laughs) Lots of sustainable love. Bye-bye.